This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. The former president and current 2024 contender Donald Trump is openly calling for the Constitution to be terminated so he can be installed as the rightful winner of the 2020 election. Now, at this point in time, none of us are shocked that Trump said another kooky thing. But even if we're all accustomed to it at this point, we need to take very seriously the reality that the former president is gradually moving towards more open authoritarianism. And this person could win in 2024. So what is he saying this time and why is he saying it? First, let's get to the post that he made via Truth Social, where he says, so with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception and working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democratic Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations and articles even those found in the Constitution. Wow. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. So he is effectively calling for the Constitution to be suspended so he can become the president again since he was wronged. And had he not been wronged, well, he would have won. Therefore, he's the rightful winner. Now, what is he up in arms about? Well, it is the Twittergate story where Elon Musk shared Twitter files with journalist and transphobe defender Matt Taibbi, and he basically details how, in a very lengthy thread, Twitter at the time made the decision to censor the New York Post's Hunter Biden laptop story. The Verge explains the emails showed Twitter's team struggling with how to explain their handling of the New York Post story that broke the news of Hunter's leaked laptop files and whether they made the correct moderation decision in the first place. At the time, it was not clear if the materials were genuine and Twitter decided to ban links to or images of the post story, citing its policy on the distribution of hacked materials. The move was controversial even then, primarily among Republicans, but also with speech advocates worried about Twitter's decision to block a news outlet. While Musk might be hoping we see documents showing Twitter's largely former staffers nefariously deciding to act in a way that helped now President Joe Biden, the communications mostly show a team debating how to finalize and communicate a difficult moderation decision. So that right there is why Trump is saying that we should suspend the Constitution or terminate rather the Constitution so he can be installed as president. Now, for the record, I think that it was wrong for Twitter to censor the story, but Musk is claiming that this was a First Amendment violation. But even Taibbi, who defends Republicans, says that he saw no evidence of government involvement in the laptop story. But generally, he claims that the Trump White House and Biden campaign made moderation requests to Twitter that was honored, although he contends that Twitter honored more requests from Democrats. And yes, Biden's team did indeed report the Hunter Biden posts, but that doesn't prove this grand collusion conspiracy, which is what Donald Trump and his supporters are trying to push. So he's actually arguing that in the event 
Twitter didn't censor the story, then the Hunter Biden laptop story published by the New York Post would have been so powerful that everyone would have ended up voting for Trump instead of Biden. Mm, it's a bit of a stretch, don't you think, Trump? I mean, first of all, I don't care at all about the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, was Hunter Biden partying with sex workers and doing drugs? Yes, but that doesn't way on my decision to vote for his father just as trump jr allegedly doing a lot of cocaine and looking like his heart is about to explode on videos wouldn't influence my decision to not vote for donald trump i i look at the candidates not necessarily their children so it's absurd to think that this story was the catalyst for trump's defeat when in 2020 he mishandled a global pandemic and threatened to bring in the military against Black Lives Matter protesters. There's a plethora of reasons why Trump lost, but certainly censoring this story on Twitter was not one of them, even if you can admit that the censoring of the story was bad, and it seems like a lot of staffers at Twitter were really apprehensive about making this decision. But because of that, Trump says, let's terminate the Constitution so I can be reinstalled. I mean, he's grasping at straws here. Now, after people rightfully reacted with outrage to that, well, he started to walk it back and claim, actually, I never said that the Constitution should be terminated. Quote, the fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies like the Russia, 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 and all of their hoaxes and scams. Trump wrote Monday afternoon saying he meant that steps must be immediately taken to right the wrong. In a separate all capitalized post, Trump wrote that if an election is irrefutably fraudulent, it should go to the rightful winner or at a minimum be redone. Where open and blatant fraud is involved, there should be no time limit for change. So despite his attempt to walk that back, effectively, you are still calling for the Constitution to be terminated because you don't get to just claim that the election was stolen and have that be the justification for a new election or the election to be redone or you to be declared the rightful winner. That's still not constitutional. So you're still calling for the Constitution to be terminated, Donald Trump, or at a minimum suspended, which is a problem. So... I Again, I want to just stress that I get that people are sick and tired of Donald Trump, and they all have Trump fatigue, and they ex expect him to say really ridiculous things like this. But we shouldn't downplay the gravity of this statement despite it coming from Donald Trump. This is a former president calling for the Constitution to be terminated, and that is genuinely unhinged. It's explicitly authoritarian. But again, at this point in time, it's not necessarily shocking for Donald Trump. But despite our lack of surprise here, we shouldn't just let this stand. We should push back against this and educate people that if they support Donald Trump, they are supporting a dictator. They are supporting somebody who is openly an authoritarian, who has called for authoritarianism. That is something that is horrifying. Because even if they support Donald Trump now, well, if he were a dictator, now I'm not saying that that's going to be the case, but in the event he were a dictator, then once you permit that person to have authority, then they can just keep that power forever. You can't take that back. You can't put the cat back in the bag. So having a perma president, which is what he wants to be, eventually they're going to disagree with him. He's going to do something that they don't like. And I get that it's a cult, but at some point they're not going to agree with him. For example, they're all anti-vaxxers. He was pro-vaccine because he wants credit for it. So what happens after you give this man the power to remain in office indefinitely and then he does something that you disagree with? At that point in time, you've given away consent to elect leaders. So people need to understand across the aisle 
that by supporting this person, you're supporting an end to U.S. democracy. And perhaps he might not be the one that pulls the trigger and ultimately kills democracy. But if you enable this and normalize this, you are allowing for someone down the line to do what he wasn't able to accomplish. And so we all, at a minimum, need to acknowledge that even if we disagree, we at least maintain the ability to make the decision about who is and isn't in power. By supporting Donald Trump, you are tacitly accepting a dictatorship. You're tacitly accepting the end to U.S. democracy. So we've got to make that clear to people who support Trump because this is not okay. This is undemocratic. And to support him means you are supporting somebody who wants to end democracy. And by default, you support the end of democracy as well. So do not support Donald Trump. Convince people of this and let them know that they cannot support authoritarianism. That will not be tolerated in a democratic society as weak as our democracy may be. Legally speaking, yesterday was a terrible day for Donald Trump because we learned not only that the January 6th committee was going to be making criminal recommendations to the Justice Department, and we don't necessarily know who that's going to be, but the implication is that it will be Donald Trump. But aside from that, the Trump organization was found guilty on all 17 counts of tax fraud, which is huge. Now, the penalty, in my opinion, if he hit with the max, isn't that large, but this is still substantial nonetheless. As Politico explains, the Trump Organization was convicted on all charges in a criminal tax fraud scheme on Tuesday. A New York Supreme Court jury reached the verdict in the case, which could cost the Trump Organization up to $1.6 million in fines after two days of deliberation following a month-long trial that included a convicted former Trump Organization chief finance officer, Alan Weitzelberg, as a star witness. Prosecutors from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office said the company criminally dodged taxes and suppressed payroll costs by lavishing its executives with unreported perks such as leases on luxury cars and apartments. Former President Donald Trump was not charged, but Weiselberg, who still works for the Trump Organization, pleaded guilty to the charges and agreed to testify against his employer in exchange for a lighter sentence. Two units of the Trump Organization were convicted on 17 criminal counts, including tax fraud, scheme to defraud, and falsifying business records. Now, the Trump Organization obviously will be appealing this decision, but, and I don't want to downplay the significance of this because this is the closest that Trump has been to legal accountability, but even in the event he is hit with the maximum penalty for each charge, that still is a total of $1.6 million that he'll be on the hook for, as the article pointed out, which is something that he can probably raise in like five minutes if he sends out an email telling everyone that the uh the legal system is against him and it's all rigged and a witch hunt and yeah so it's not necessarily a huge penalty but it is a sign that the walls may be closing in on donald trump and that is what i think is more important now he's lucky because it seems as if alan weiselberg is choosing to be the fall guy weiselberg is loyal to donald trump and hasn't broken that loyalty essentially because trump has been there for them weiselberg was working under the table in some instances to avoid taxes and because he's choosing to take accountability for the tax fraud at the trump organization trump himself isn't necessarily 
going to be held accountable. The article continues, the scheme allegedly continued until Trump became president when prosecutors say the company engaged in an effort to clean up its illegal practices to avoid scrutiny. But Weiselberg, who remains on the Trump organization payroll, also testified that he acted out of personal greed to boost his own bottom line, giving fodder to defense lawyers who argued the corporation was not to blame for his conduct. Though not charged, Trump loomed large throughout the trial. He personally paid private school tuition for Weiselberg's grandchildren and signed a lease for his top lieutenant's Upper West Side apartment overlooking the Hudson River, witnesses testified. In other words, Weiselberg is throwing himself under the bus in order to save Donald Trump. So that to me is frustrating, but there is a plethora of other things that could lead to Trump being criminally prosecuted. But at the same time, he is an elite. So the thought of an elite, a former president especially, being held accountable legally, it just seems like a stretch. But nonetheless, when you're in that much legal trouble, I mean, odds are where there's smoke, there's fire and something has got to get Donald Trump right. And this is a horrible sign. Um, now, I just want to point out before I further discuss this, Eric Cleefield of Media Matters points out via Twitter on the afternoon that the Trump organization was found guilty of tax fraud. Here's the live coverage on the Fox Business show of the former Trump administration economic advisor. The Chiron reads examining the Biden family's business dealings. Hilarious. Now, listen, the Biden family's business dealings, that's fair game. I think that we should look at all presidential families business dealings but it's the timing that is just a little bit too conspicuous here and i find it absolutely hilarious but getting back to the issue of donald trump and how he's going to react this is something that also worries me because even if i'm a little bit optimistic that finally his organization is being held legally accountable and they're on the hook for some actual fines well what does this mean for Donald Trump and his run for the presidency? What this means is that he's going to grow increasingly desperate and he will do anything to take back power. And once he gets that power back, he's not going to want to let it go. So there's kind of this predicament where as the walls close in on Donald Trump legally and he gets closer and closer to criminal prosecution, potentially, that's just going to drive him to become more unhinged, more insane, more deluded. But Maybe that's going to lead to his unraveling if he gets a little bit more narcissistic and continues to portray himself as the victim, where other Republicans can come along like Ron DeSantis and say, I'm not running for, you know, myself, I'm running for you, something of that nature. Although I don't necessarily know. I've heard from Republican strategists who have made great points and through articles, by the way, I'm not talking to these people, obviously, but there's an article from, I think, Politico that we talked about on the program where GOP strategists said that in the event Trump were to be indicted, this would further galvanize the entire Republican base because as frustrated as many Republicans are with Donald Trump, this would kind of unify all of them and they'd be able to have this message of, yes, the justice system is rigged against Republicans. This is a, a political and a legal witch hunt, something like that. So I don't know. That argument, I think, was more persuasive before the midterm elections. But now that Trump has kind of been a failure for the party and relatively toxic. Who knows if normie Republicans are going to fall in line in that instance. But either way, this is a very significant development here and he deserves to be held accountable. He should be in prison. But is that going to happen? I don't necessarily know, but are we inching closer to that as a possibility? It seems like yes. And what this kind of shows here is that Trump isn't untouchable. 
this is the Trump organization and not Trump the individual that is found guilty, to be clear. But still, it shows that he's not untouchable and he can be held legally accountable. So will it lead ultimately, not this case, but will other cases lead to a criminal prosecution and indictment? We'll have to wait and see, but um, it's certainly going to be a shit show the more that he is held accountable, potentially. You just watched a far-right militia disperse after accomplishing their mission. What was their mission, you ask? Well, to intimidate a local LGBTQ plus event into shutting down. They showed up with guns, and when the event organizers thought that there was a danger to the well-being of people there, they stopped the event. So they won. And this is becoming an increasingly common phenomenon across the United States, not just with armed far-right extremists showing up to queer spaces and harassing and intimidating them, but Nazis as well are showing out in droves. For example, Nazis surrounded a drag show in Lakeland, Florida, and called for the deaths of, quote, pedophiles inside. Also, high-profile drag performers across the country are having to hire armed security guards and plan escape routes in the event a gunman shows up to their event. And in Moore County, North Carolina, more than 40,000 residents lost power due to a targeted attack on substations. And though the motive for the attack is unknown at the time that I record this video, the sheriff does say that it's possible the power was actually cut in order to stop a drag show in Southern Pines from taking place. And that is one way to shut down an LGBTQ plus event. But when it comes to Columbus, Ohio, here's why the right wing militia showed up. As NBC News explains, the hosts of a drag queen story hour style event for children in Columbus, Ohio on Saturday pulled the plug because of what they described as the intimidating presence of right wing demonstrators. The scheduled holiday themed holy drag story time at the First Unitarian Church of Columbus, which runs the K through five institution behind the event, Red Oak Community School, was canceled at the last minute Saturday morning following internal discussions, organizers said. Members of Ohio's Proud Boys organization and other right-wing groups made good on promises to make waves outside the venue Saturday. More than 50 demonstrators, including members of the Proud Boys, gathered near the church Saturday morning and shouted, chanted, and held up signs. Some were armed with long guns. So they have unilaterally decided that family-friendly LGBTQ plus events are unacceptable because their logic is drag queens are a danger to children. So this dude right here, if all of a sudden you put a wig on him, he immediately becomes a danger to children. That's their logic. All queer people are dangerous to children because by their logic, well, if children are exposed to queer people, then they would know that being gay isn't that bad. And if they grow up to be gay and don't hate themselves, then that's bad. These people want them to hate themselves. And some Nazis also showed up a couple of blocks away from the church. And as you're going to see in this video, courtesy of BG on the scene, they were sig heiling and they made their message very clear. Take that Nazi shit somewhere else! 
Now, as you saw, they were holding a banner that said groomers. I don't know what the second word was, but basically the fact that Nazis have adopted the groomer rhetoric by the far right propaganda ecosystem isn't necessarily surprising if you know history. Twitter user Primus Gendered shared a Wikipedia entry on the Nazis' views on homosexuality, noting how similar it was to the rhetoric that we see from today's right wing. It reads, the Nazis were influenced by earlier ideas conflating homosexuality, child molestation, and the seduction of youth. Before the Nazis rise to power, there was a widespread belief among Germans that homosexuality was not inborn, but instead could be acquired and spread. And that sounds eerily similar to what we're seeing the right proclaim about lgbtq plus people today now this is going to continue to happen queer spaces are going to be intimidated and harassed increasingly by right-wing militias and nazis and those terms aren't mutually exclusive but they're showing up they have their swastikas they're emboldened and they feel as if they have support from the community to harass and ultimately shut down these queer spaces. That's where we're at here in the United States of America. Now I've got one more video to show you where you can kind of see more of the protesters uh, and to call them protesters, I think is being extra charitable, the harassers. And you can see some of the signs uh, and what their message was to queer people. We will not comply. We will not comply. We will not comply. We will not comply. Some of those guys were like, ah, we're not specifically, you know, organized with you guys. Okay, cool. Okay, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, hey, look, we don't have any problem with you guys being out here. Um, just make sure that you're practicing, you know, safe firearms. Everybody's got their muzzle down. I'm happy to see that. I don't have any issues with that. Uh, the big issue that we want to make sure is that, you know, we're allowing the flow of traffic. And then if there are any pedestrians that are coming through, uh, that we're, you know, facilitating them getting through. Uh, so we really hope that everything goes smoothly. I expect that it will. Uh, everybody I've talked to today has been very nice, very professional. Uh, so you'll see us. Uh, we'll be in the powder blue. We'll be your point of contact. Okay. You talk to some guys up here. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. We're all free. Yeah. Okay, guys. All right. We'll be around. Any questions? Awesome. We're all good. What's that? Are you proud of yourself? Yeah. Rumors are abusers! You should not be anywhere near children! So some of the signs said, we are everywhere. Meaning that if you hold an LGBTQ plus event, then we're going to be there to intimidate and harass you. That's the message that they're sending. And they kind of have been doing this already. So it's not necessarily an implausible message. They've been everywhere, not just the Proud Boys, but other far right militias, other just right wing protesters in general have been showing up all year to shut down drag events. So, yeah, this is absolutely 100 percent the fault of right wing propagandists who are claiming that grooming is taking place at all LGBTQ plus family events, even though that isn't happening. No evidence that grooming is happening at these drag shows. But we do know that the Catholic Church does pose a danger to children. Don't see them protesting the Catholic Church. 
I mean, I personally think that child beauty pageants are extremely creepy. And if you think that just a drag queen being around a child is bad, wouldn't that be orders of magnitude worse? Well, no, they're not protesting child beauty pageants as well. I'm not claiming that they should, by the way. But what I'm trying to demonstrate to you all is that this is about queer people. They are discriminatory. They don't like queer people. They think that queer people are inherently dangerous to children. And that's why they're doing it. Their views mirror the views of the Nazis. And because they're being stoked by right-wing propagandists, this is going to continue. And we already saw one mass shooting. So more violence is probably going to happen because this is going to continue to be a, an occurrence so long as queer people exist. If you have a public space and you're a queer person, this is what you have to look forward to in the future because the Republican Party has chosen to make you public enemy number one. So, yeah, this is where we're at. I, I want to say that it's shocking, but I'm honestly not shocked by what we're seeing here. This is exactly what I think everyone in the in the queer community expected. The second we started to see this groomer rhetoric pop up, it's the old gays or pedophiles trope that has been revived. And now it's applied to everyone in the LGBTQ plus community. It's just really sickening. But this is America in 2022, where Nazis are absolutely vocal and emboldened. And they want to make sure that marginalized people know that they will be there to intimidate you if you aren't scared back into the closet. Well, it seems as if our far-right rogue Supreme Court is poised to permit discrimination against LGBTQ plus people. Now, it's not a foregone conclusion at this point in time, but when you listen to how receptive they are to the arguments of somebody who wants the right to discriminate against queer people, it seems likely that they are going to rule in their favor. Now, the individual in question here is a website designer, and she hasn't had to turn away a queer couple yet, but she just wants to make sure that she has the right to discriminate in the event one of them seek out her services. So the Washington Post explains, the Supreme Court's conservative majority seemed sympathetic Monday to an evangelical Christian graphic artist from Colorado who does not want to create wedding websites for same-sex couples despite the state's protective anti-discrimination law. Those justices seemed amenable to businesswoman Lori Smith's argument that the state may not compel her to create speech that violates her religious belief that marriage is only between a man and a woman. But several appeared to be looking for ways to narrow their decision, saying both sides in the dispute agreed, for example, that not all wedding vendors should receive such exemptions. The case is something of a follow-up to the court's decision in 2018 when it ruled narrowly for Colorado baker Jack Phillips, who refused to create a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. The court left undisturbed, however, Colorado's law that forbids companies open to the public from denying goods or services to customers based on disability, race, creed, color, sex, sexual orientation, marital status, national origin, or ancestry. Graphic designer Smith says that law violates her deeply held religious views and free speech rights by forcing her to create messages she does not believe. Now, of course, the state cannot compel you to say something that you don't believe, but this is a business owner who is open to the public who doesn't want to accommodate people on the basis of their sexual orientation. It is inherently discriminatory because if she's allowed to discriminate against same-sex couples, can she also discriminate against interracial couples? If a Christian store owner doesn't want to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple, but he offers wedding cakes to heterosexual couples, 
Will this case lead to that being permissible? It's hard to say. And once you open the door to this, things can get ugly. So if this person can say, oh, this violates my deeply held religious beliefs, can other graphic designers say that they don't want to do designs for black people? Can people discriminate against, I don't know, somebody for being black and say, look, you can't come to my establishment. This is for whites only. Jewish people aren't allowed. Like, do you understand why this is a really old conversation that we had decades ago that it seemed like we solved? But because bigots want the ability to discriminate, well, here we are again, and this far-right rogue Supreme Court seems poised to side with her. It just is shocking that in 2022, we're actually questioning whether or not somebody who has a business that is open to the public can explicitly discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or race. It's just, it's ridiculous. But all these hypotheticals that I kind of talked about uh, just now, the same thing was happening with the Supreme Court. So, for example, Katanji Brown-Jackson brought up the example of, well, what if a mall Santa wanted to be artistic and reject a photograph with a black child because they wanted to create a, you know, it's a wonderful life type of ambiance or something of that nature. Well, this is the way that Alito responded to that. And keep in mind, this is a Supreme Court justice who's going to say idiotic things like we're about to hear. Justice Jackson's example of the, the Santa in the mall who uh, doesn't want his picture taken with black children. So if there's a, a black Santa at the other end of the mall and he doesn't want uh, to have his picture taken with a child who's dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit. That, that black Santa has to do that? No, because Ku Klux Klan outfits are not protected characteristics under public accommodation laws. And presumably that would be the same Ku Klux Klan outfit, regardless whether the child was black or white or any other characteristic. Yeah, you, do see, you do see a lot of black children in Ku Klux Klan uh, outfits, right? Uh, all, the, all the time. Suppose that, uh, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> Hilarious. Let me remind you, this is a Supreme Court justice who's actually asking questions like this. Let me answer it for you, Alito. Um, if the mall Santa turned away a black child who was wearing a Klan outfit, yes, that would be permissible because the basis for discrimination in that instance is the political message and not the identity of the child. See, you can turn away someone if they show up with a swastika. But you can't turn away someone if they're gay or black because these are immutable characteristics. There's a difference between identity and political message. I feel like a Supreme Court justice should know this, but it's Alito and he is deeply unserious and I think probably pretty stupid as well. But I think that Justice Sotomayor put it best. If the court ruled against Colorado, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said it would be the first time in the Supreme Court's history that it would allow a business open to the public to refuse to serve a customer based on race, sex, religion, or sexual orientation. And let's say that the court narrowly rules here and says that only LGBTQ plus discrimination is permissible. Well, this case would then be used as precedent in future cases where a Christian business owner or a Nazi business owner doesn't want their business open to black people. And once you establish this precedent, again, once you open Pandora's box, how do you go back from that? Now, the court 
is trying to pretend as if the question that they're answering here is a matter of, well, does applying this public accommodation law to compel somebody to say or do speech that they don't believe in a violation of the First Amendment, when that's not really the question that they should be trying to answer here. The question is, if somebody has a business and they accommodate the public, are they allowed to discriminate on the basis of identity, on the basis of someone's immutable characteristic? But that's not the question that they're answering here. And when you frame it in their way, well, prior precedent makes it likely that the attorneys for Smith here are going to be successful because in 1995, the court unanimously ruled in Hurley v. Irish American Gay, Lesbian, and Bisexual group of Boston that a public accommodation law could not be used to compel organizers of Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade to admit a gay rights group. In other words, if the court already said that excluding gays from public accommodation laws is permissible, then does it also apply to an artist as well? Are they not also exempt from a public accommodation law? Except the details matter here, right? So in the event that parade said we're not allowing any civil rights floats, and they turn down all political messaging, well, they're not just singling out gay people. In the event, the uh, artist in this instance, Smith, said, all right, look, I'm not going to provide wedding websites for anyone, straights or gays. That would be fine. That's one way that the public accommodation law wouldn't force her effectively to design a website for a gay couple in the event that came up. But she wants to have her cake and eat it too. She wants to offer her business to the public, but discriminate on the basis of immutable characteristics. And that's just something that is inherently unconstitutional. But yet this court seems poised to side with the bigot here. So do you understand how we're moving backwards further and further? Again, we don't know how they're going to rule here in this case, but when you listen to the way that they're responding, the way that Alito is joking about this and not taking this seriously, it just seems like I I would expect them at this point to say LGBTQ plus discrimination is A-OK. -okay. You just watched the family of fallen officer Brian Sicknick snub Mitch McConnell to his face during the Congressional Medal of Honor ceremony intended to honor the officers who defended the Capitol during the January 6th insurrection. And man, was that satisfying to watch. And Mitch McConnell expected to get handshakes, but when he was rejected, just the look on his face, his soul being crushed, it was very cathartic for me to see uh, because Mitch McConnell is an absolute ghoul and he doesn't deserve respect from anyone now to be clear kevin mccarthy was being snubbed as well by the family but he wasn't holding out his hand so it was less awkward for him but which with mitch mcconnell he was expecting a handshake which he didn't get now the officer brian sicknick died after the january 6th insurrection due to a stroke and his brother here is going to explain why they refused to shake mitch mcconnell's hand Self-explanatory, but you know, they they came out right away and condemned what happened on January 6th, and whatever hold that Trump has on them, they've backstepped, they've danced, they won't admit to wrongdoing—not necessarily them themselves, but of Trump, of the rioters. I mean, people like people like Louis Gomez, 
who presented an American flag that was flown over the Capitol to a January 6th rioter and told them they were a patriot. It's disgusting. And now it takes away everything my brother's done. It takes away my brother, my, the, the heroism my brother showed. You know, you don't think you don't think they deserved a handshake in this context? No. 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 Definitely not. No, because they because unlike Bush Cheney, they have no idea what integrity is. They can't stand up for what's right and wrong. But it's no with them it's party first. Liz gave up her political career to do what was right and try to find the truth. She's she she's the one ray of hope her and the whole committee. That they can show integrity, that they can show they actually care about process, about democracy, about everything that goes on. And these guys are, oh, as long as it's got a big R in front of it, we're going to do whatever you get. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I blame them for the reasoning here. I would never shake any of these politicians' hands because none of them deserve our respect, given how terrible they've governed the country and just ran it into the ground because they're all corrupt. But I think that they especially have a reason to not be respectful to these politicians after they've shown them no respect. Now, I've got one more video clip that I want to play for you. This is from uh, Gladys Sicknick, the mother of Brian Sicknick and his brother. They kind of explain how they came to this decision and why they also did not intend on shaking Kevin McCarthy's hand as well. We got together and we said we're not going to shake their hands. And now McCarthy is going to investigate. He's going to investigate the committee that investigated January 6th. There's much more to that response. It basically comes down to this. The family members said that um, there was the continued loyalty to Donald Trump that was the problem for them, that the idea that Kevin McCarthy in particular, to a lesser degree, Mitch McConnell, but McCarthy going down to Mar-a-Lago in the days after January 6th, that they, they, they couldn't take seriously this idea that they were now backing the police officers who stood up and fought on January 6th. So Yeah, I mean, I think that they are absolutely within their right to pay no respect to these loathsome politicians, and especially considering that McCarthy is going to investigate the January 6th committee. I mean, it's just like they're spitting in the faces of this family, so why would they be respectful? The fact that Mitch McConnell would hold out his hand and expect a handshake in return, I mean, the audacity of these individuals. Now, one more thing that I want to share from uh, Gladys Sicknick, this is Brian Sicknick's mom again, uh, is she doesn't think that Republicans have respected their wishes. Newsweek explains, last year, Sicknick, referring to Gladys, urged Congress to approve a commission to investigate the riot, asking them to visit her son's grave before making their final decision. Sicknick criticized certain Republicans' actions after several lawmakers expressed opposition to the committee, including McConnell. So this was honestly surprising to me to see. I like seeing things like this. It really frustrates me to see so many individuals in this country pay deference and worship these politicians and even celebrities who don't give a damn about them, right? I don't see why we don't see this more. I don't understand how all of these politicians aren't afraid to show their faces in public because every time they leave home, they get booed loudly wherever they go. I don't care if it's at a restaurant or at a department store. Anyone who sees them should be booing because these people are ruining the country. I mean, extend this. It's not just about January 6th and that particular family. Think of all of the ways that these politicians are screwing us over. And to be clear, I'm not just talking about Republicans as well. To see Chuck Schumer in public, I would boo him as well. To see Nancy Pelosi, I would boo her as well. There's always a reason to challenge these politicians in power. 
always, right? Because even if Democrats, for example, are better than Republicans, they're still inadequate. They're still not meeting our expectations. Chuck Schumer isn't allowing a vote on an antitrust bill that is very important for reigning in big tech. This is something that could pass, but he is not allowing it to pass. He hasn't reigned in his caucus, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, and has allowed them to essentially cripple the Democratic Party's agenda. Nancy Pelosi, very clearly guilty of insider trading, killed that bill. There's just so much to hate about these politicians. And even if you agree with the politician, I think that there's no reason to not challenge them. For example, back in 2018, 2019, my Senator Jeff Merkley, who I actually like, he did a town hall. I showed up and I got the opportunity to ask him a question and I challenged him. I asked him why he didn't speak up in defense of the, of the First Amendment and condemn the extradition case by the U.S. for Julian Assange, because that case could be the slippery slope. Well, where if you prosecute him and successfully extradite him, then other journalists in this country are going to be fearful of posting leaks because of what happened to Julian Assange. And now the New York Times has finally come out and said the same thing, that yes, this is an attack on journalism. So there's always some reason to challenge these politicians. So at a minimum, stop worshiping them but at most i think that if you see them in public these are public figures you're their boss by the way you put them in power they're subordinate to you or should be anyways it's not like they're loading lording over us and we're the peasants we are their bosses so it is incumbent on us to hold them accountable and when congress has such a low approval rating there's no reason to buddy up with them when you see them in public and take their pictures no respectfully challenge them or if you don't want to be bothering with these people if they're that loathsome to where they can't be changed their minds are just set they're too corrupt then boo them that's my recommendation so i like seeing this because i'm sick and tired of these politicians who ruin the country spit in our faces fuck us over still be respected by individuals when they have done nothing to earn that respect and have done everything in their power to earn our scorn. So to see this family basically give uh, Mitch McConnell the middle finger, it was really satisfying to watch. I want more Americans to understand that these politicians are not their friends. They are your employees. You are their boss. Treat them accordingly. Stop pretending like they're celebrities. Actually challenge them and hold them accountable if you have the opportunity to meet them. Most people in this country has no clue who Nick Fuentes is. And if they heard his statements that he makes, they would want nothing to do with him. He sounds like a very immature young man saying hateful things about people and, and, and calling using a people group, talking about the talking about people he doesn't like by an entire people group which is horrible. Why would he ever do that? And then also say, no, I'm not racist or I'm not these things. Yeah, you are if you talk that way, because that's how you sound. And I don't know why Kanye West would align himself with that. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, because the reality is, why would anyone want to follow or hang out with someone that condemns an entire group of people constantly when he knows nothing? Yeah, that's a good question. Why would somebody want to follow someone who would condemn an entire group of people? Hmm.
You just listened to Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene denounce Nick Fuentes after she was essentially pressured to do so because now he's become a lot more popular and she kind of helped to build him up by speaking at his America First conference. Now, that wasn't the only instance where she spoke out against Nick Fuentes. Via Twitter, she writes, of course, I denounce Nick Fuentes and his racist anti-Semitic ideology. I can't comprehend why the media is obsessed with him. Maybe it's because he's a Nazi and he continues to get a gigantic platform and spread his Nazi beliefs. That's probably why. And also because politicians like you and your colleague Paul Gosar are associating with him and helping him build up his name recognition. So that's why this is so important, Marjorie Green. Now, some people... I think rightfully questioned whether or not she was being genuine considering just a week or so ago, she defended Fuentes again by signal boosting a tweet calling on Elon Musk to unban him among other far-right individuals. Now, denouncing a Nazi was actually controversial because a lot of her fan base is indeed comprised of, well, Nazis. But even if she hadn't condemned Nick Fuentes, well, she already was in hot water with the far right because she endorsed House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, or I should say she endorsed Kevin McCarthy in his bid to be House Speaker. And the reason why that's bad is because he's a rhino, but she did that because she wants to get her committee assignments back. And the way that you do that is you kiss the ring of the individual who is the favorite to win. So by doing that, she was seen as a traitor by a lot of her fans. Now here's what her Nazi and far-right supporters are saying about her. Nick Fuentes called her controlled opposition and claims that that she and Alex Jones threw him under the bus to appease Jewish groups. Furthermore, Vice explains, she's just weak. She goes and says something edgy to get attention, and then when the pressure comes, she buckles, said Fuentes on a podcast after Green's disavowal of him. You know, she's gonna be a MAGA mom and QAnon and all that, and then the second Kevin McCarthy reprimands her and she loses her committee, she goes and apologizes. Fuentes also mocked Green's dreams of becoming the face of Christian nationalism in the United States. Quote, how are you going to be the face of Christian nationalism when you're a divorced woman girl boss, said Fuentes. I'm so glad I don't have to pretend to support that anymore. He's also taken to calling Green large Marge and is encouraging his followers to heckle her at events. Far-right activist Laura Loomer also announced that she was done with Green. Marjorie Taylor Green is no longer an ally to America First, Loomer declared on Telegram. She may have climbed to be so that she could climb the political ladder, but she has shown she is all talk and zero action unless, of course, the action is selling t-shirts and wine glasses. You are their slave, Marjorie, a slave to the Democrats and the media that you constantly talk about, wrote Holocaust denier Vince James. Quote, by that statement, disavowing Fuentes, it just got to show you're living according to the rules of their game that they've completely rigged against us. Now, that's the most significant because Marjorie Taylor Greene is a member of Congress, of course, but she's not the only far-right figure who has lost support of Nazis and their far-right supporters not mutually exclusive, by the way, by condemning Nazism and Hitler. Because Steven Crowder, one of the largest political YouTubers, if not the largest political YouTuber, tweeted this out. I hope this is something we can all find common ground on, with the caption, Hitler bad. Now, some of his supporters were not happy about this. One of them wrote, why are you shilling for the Jews? Another says, as a longtime fan, I have to say, I'm disappointed you're not discussing this with the nuance it deserves. Another just writes, no. Another says, I don't think so, man. Another says, I don't agree. And there was a lot more where that came from. Now, just pause for a moment. Okay, ask yourselves, why would Marjorie Taylor Greene 
and Steven Crowder get backlash for condemning Nazis and Hitler. It's because the Nazis and far-right individuals who followed them saw them as one of their own. They saw them as allies, as fellow Nazis. I've got to say, if it were me in their position, if I had a huge platform and I realized that the bulk of my support was coming from Nazis and they thought that I was one of them, I would seriously reconsider the ways in which I talk about politics, the ways in which I talk about marginalized groups. But they're not going to stop, right? They will essentially be full-blown fascists, Marjorie Greene and Steven Crowder, by the way, and they'll condemn every single marginalized community, use fascistic rhetoric. But after attracting this huge base of Nazis and far-right individuals, they basically have a surprised Pikachu face after learning that so many of their fans are just straight-up Nazis. I mean, are you really surprised that this is your fan base, Marjorie Greene and Steven Crowder? See, if I were to condemn Hitler and Nazis and fascists, which I do pretty regularly, unequivocally so, there would be no controversy whatsoever. Why? Because that's not the audience that I'm cultivating. That's not the base of fans or viewers that I'm trying to build here. So they wouldn't be shocked to hear me say that, yes, it is indeed the case that Hitler is bad and Nazism is bad and should be defeated. But when all you do is attack marginalized people and you espouse far-right talking points and you say things that are explicitly fascistic, can you really be that surprised when Nazis turn against you? See, you flew a little bit too close to the sun there. You started to actually get chummy with Nazis like Nick Fuentes. And after months, when you finally feel enough pressure to condemn him, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all of a sudden you're losing your base of support and you're just another rhino or controlled opposition. So I find this unsurprising because this is who these people are pandering to. You can't be surprised that you're followed by a bunch of Nazis and fascists and white supremacists if you pander to them constantly. We're not just talking about dog whistles. We're talking about explicit white supremacy that we see from individuals like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Steven Crowder on the regular. And they go after the LGBTQ plus community viciously. And they think that, oh, well... This is just going to help me cultivate support with regular conservatives. I mean, sure, conservatives may support you in your culture war endeavors, but for the most part, the country has moved on, right? You may be extra loud in your demonization of trans people and queer people, but overall, when you look at polls, Americans support gay rights. So all that you have left to be your fan base are nothing but far-right lunatics. So don't be surprised when they turn against you after you denounce them, because that's obviously what you're supposed to do. And I've just got to point out that these folks like Steven Crowder and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're not denouncing Nick Fuentes and Kanye West willingly. They're doing so begrudgingly because Kanye West went full mask off. Nick Fuentes, as he's gained this platform, more people know about him, and you can't just hope that most people are ignorant. People know that you associated with and defended Nazis, somebody who says that he likes Hitler. So now you kind of have no choice but to denounce Ye, someone you previously defended, Steven Crowder, and denounce Nick Fuentes, somebody who you were buddy-buddy with, Marjorie Taylor Greene, because you would lose all legitimacy if you didn't do that with most people. But 
it's funny that they're just losing their support as a result of uh, of doing this. So look, I love it. I'm glad that the right is uh, turning on each other. I'm glad that the far right is attacking individuals like Marjorie Taylor Greene, because this is going to prove to her that you're not going to be able to secure power if you continue to pander to these extremists. And I get that she is an extremist herself, but as a member of Congress, she needs to moderate if she wants to actually have power and get committee assignments. And when it comes to Steven Crowder, I mean, he kind of has this incentive to be as extreme as possible because it's all about views and clicks, but you can only go so far to where you turn off the majority of your audience by associating with and defending people like Kanye West, which is why he's had to come out and denounce Kanye West. So either way, it's not shocking to me that they're facing backlash after denouncing Nazis, but if they're actually shocked after doing this, then... I don't know what to say. I mean, this is the bed that you've made. So now you're kind of forced to lie in it because your entire support base is Nazis. So good job. Maybe try to do better and you won't attract them as your main base of support. It is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. Yes, they have. And thank God they rejected Herschel Walker. I'm definitely relieved. And it was close, but Warnock still pulled off the dub. He won by 2.8 percentage points. And thankfully, Herschel Walker has conceded. Here's just a snippet of his speech. But I want to say that I want to thank all of you as well, because we've had a tough journey, have we not? But one of the things I said is they, when they called the race, I said the numbers doesn't look like they're going to add up. But one of the things I want to tell all of you is you never stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop believing in America. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials most of all. Continue to pray for them because all the prayers you've given me, I felt those prayers. I want to thank all my team as well, Team Herschel, because they put up with a lot. I want to thank Team Herschel. Thank all my donors as well because you guys without you i couldn't have done what i've done so i want to thank all of you as well because there's no excuses in life and i'm not going to make any excuses now because we put up one heck of a fight and that my friends is hopefully the last time we'll have to hear from herschel walker at least for a while because the thought of him being in the senate for six years after just covering him for like six months has been absolutely draining <laughs> so the thought of him not being in the public sphere it is very, very encouraging to see. Now, this is significant not just because Herschel Walker lost, but because Joe Manchin, at least in the Senate, is no longer a power broker. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Democrats are going to be better positioned to pass policies because Republicans have taken control of the House. But at least this ends Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema's reign because they no longer have to rely on him to have the majority. Now, what's interesting to me is the response from the right. It seemed as if all signs were pointing to Herschel Walker losing this race, but still they were very surprised and really bitter. So let's get to the right wing code. My favorite is probably this tweet from Laverne Spicer, who wrote, Herschel Walker is about to win. And then she, she followed up by saying, they weren't going to let Warnock lose because he's their plan for 2028. Mark it down. 
hilarious. And Charlie Kirk also sounded off on his show because he was very disappointed with Republicans because they didn't turn out to vote in high enough numbers, largely because, well, they thought it was rigged. It's interesting. I actually assumed incorrectly that if you take time to watch this program, thank you, that you would also just automatically vote. Turns out there's a fair portion of you that are completely done and that are willing to voice that opinion. Do we have that Laura Ingram clip that we guys pulled? And I just want to say, I do sympathize with being upset with the Republican Party and not totally trusting the system, but not participating at all guarantees the other side to be able to play games. And if everything was broken and lost, how did we win the House of Representatives? If everything is broken and lost, how did Ron Johnson, who stood up against the pharmaceutical company, win in Wisconsin? If everything was broken and lost, how did Ron DeSantis win by 17 votes? How did we win the House by getting wins in California and New York? We won the House through Oregon, California, New York. I'm not, I, this, I was in the movie 2000 Mules. I sympathize with all of the sentiment. Thoughts, actually, are not as important. You can have very angry thoughts towards the system. It is actions that I will instead address. You could say, oh, this system is corrupt. It's terrible. I'm going to go vote. Fine. You've done the right thing. You have not allowed your thoughts to manifest into what I would consider to be an immoral action. Someone says, Charlie, I thought, I thought you were kidding when you said people weren't voting until you read these emails. No, you should see. I'm reading them on air. And by the way, I'm tweeting out some of these emails so you could see them yourselves. The MAGA movement is committing suicide in front of our very eyes because... Of, and if you extrapolate that, that means there, and we see it in the numbers, we see it in the data, millions of people that have said we are no longer going to vote because of cynicism. And if you, if you look at the sentiment, I share the sentiment, by the way. When I went and voted in Arizona, I even said, boy, I hope this counts. The MAGA movement is committing suicide before our very eyes. Charlie, I don't know why you're surprised by this. You told them that elections were rigged and that votes didn't matter. So the logical conclusion after you learn that is, well, what's the point of voting? Why stand in line for hours when it's not going to amount to anything, when my vote isn't going to affect change? You did this, so you have yourself to thank for this. And I love the logic here that he tries to uh, to squeeze in. Oh, well, not participating guarantees the other side wins. Right, but if you've already told your audience that your vote doesn't matter because they just make up votes or they steal it, why would you voting contribute when the system itself is entirely delegitimized? Like, it's shocking to me that he's so surprised that him telling his supporters that voting doesn't matter because the system is rigged would backfire and hurt Republicans. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't say that in particular, but she's still angry. And specifically, she's insulted, according to her, by the Herschel Walker campaign, and she takes some shots at GOP leaders. Well, let me lay this out real clear for everyone to understand, and this is especially for the campaign consultants with the 30,000 foot view where they look down on Georgia and arrogantly think they know how to win races in our state. This is for Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and the rest of the Republican senators. You guys are the reasons why we are losing Republican races all over the country. And this is your third loss in my home state 
So let me inform you on behalf of Georgia, this is your third strike and you're out. You don't belong in our state running key races anymore. No, thank you. We don't want your help. Let me let you know something, Steve. I was never asked very often by the Herschel Walker campaign to come speak at any of his campaign events. They only asked me to come to maybe two, I think, two or three in my own district when he was campaigning um, all over the state running for Senate. But they only asked me a couple of times in my own district, which I find extremely insulting. But the audacity and, and really the frank rudeness of the campaign consultants and Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, where they thought, you know, we're going to keep Marjorie Taylor Greene away from Herschel Walker, and and we don't need her voice at his campaign rallies and events um, where we're campaigning all of this all over the state. I think is a really major mistake and an insult to me and an insult to our to, to people who support me and Republicans all over Georgia, because I don't have a popularity problem in my home state. Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham do. And they're, they, these consultants, they've lost plenty of times and they, they really, no one should hire them again. And the, the millions of dollars that they've made off of these campaigns, they should give it back to Republican donors for wasting their money. And that's exactly how I feel about it. That Senate seat was extremely important, important to not only Georgia, but important to the entire country. And here's another thing. They told President Trump to stay out of Georgia. That was another major mistake. And then the same fools are out there running around trying to blame President Trump today. Well, they should have invited him to Georgia to campaign with Herschel Walker. They should have invited me to campaign with Herschel Walker more because I'm the only Republican woman elected from the state of Georgia on a federal level. So on one hand, I'm thankful that she's not claiming that the election was stolen at least. So progress, right? Credit where it's due. But I love that she believes that in the event she was utilized by the Herschel Walker campaign, she would have won. She lives in a very, very deep red district. How is that going to help him win a statewide race. And furthermore, she claims that uh, GOP operatives and leaders told Trump to stay out of Georgia. He's toxic. He is toxic. He's seen by a lot of people as a loser. So I think that that was actually a good decision. Now she says, look, um, I don't have a popularity problem in my home state, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham do. And that may be correct, but still this is a statewide race. So you going on stage and foaming at the mouth doing fascist things, talking about queer people as if they're butchering children, isn't going to help Herschel Walker. And yes, he did engage in transphobia and he used a lot of far-right rhetoric, but the difference is that I don't think he understands what he's saying, whereas you know how despicable the things that you're saying is. So overall, whenever there's a loss, there's going to be right-wing cope, and I'm right there to drink up their salty tears because I find them absolutely delicious. Now, I want to give Christian Walker, who is Herschel Walker's son, the last laugh because I think he bravely spoke out against his own father, and now he's kind of spilling the tea on what led to his father's run in the first place, and I find this fascinating. So he writes via Twitter, the truth. Trump called my dad for months demanding that he run. Everyone with a brain begged him, please don't do this. This is too dirty. You have an insane past. Please don't do this. We got the middle finger. He ran. He adds, Republicans, we say we don't play identity politics. And then you ran this man mainly because he was the same skin color as his opponent with no background other than football. A boring old Republican could have won. He continues, don't beat women, hold guns to people's heads, fund abortions, then pretend you're pro 
life, stock cheerleaders, leave your multiple minor children alone to chase more fame, lie, 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 say stupid crap and make a fool of your family, and then maybe you can win a Senate seat. Don't compare Warnock running over his wife's foot to my father holding guns and knives to my mother's throat, threatening to kill his therapist, her, and one of his adulteresses in a therapy session, and telling my mom and I he was going to beat our asses. Get off my page. Now he concludes by saying, this is my amazing mom who's had her name and image dragged through the media unwillingly. She refused to talk to any journalist after 18 months of stalking. I blew up after she was lied on multiple times. Shout out to every strong mother whose story goes untold. We love you. So listen, I'll say this. I vehemently disagree with the policy positions of Christian Walker and a lot of the rhetoric that he uses, but because he had the courage to denounce his own father, he's earned at least a little bit more respect from me because it takes guts to do that. And him saying that Trump was the one who begged Herschel Walker confirms that this is another L that rests squarely on Trump's shoulders. More reason for the Republican Party to distance themselves from Donald Trump. So there you have it, folks. I'm feeling really optimistic because we're not going to have this insanely violent, hypocrite, far-right Republican in the U.S. Senate. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a lot will be accomplished in the next couple of years since Republicans do control the House of Representatives. I mean, when Democrats were in control of both chambers, not much was accomplished. But still, to see that somebody didn't fail to the top again gives me a little bit of hope. Not a lot but a little bit of hope. So I'm absolutely happy about the results, and I hope that you are too. I've got a little bit of extra pep in my step knowing that Herschel Walker is not going to be a United States Senator. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.